Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On this week's show, we will recap a tough start to conference play for Wichita State. We'll get Taylor's thoughts on how the Shockers get back on track. We'll also preview this week's games with SMU and Tulsa. Two big games for deciding how the rest of the conference season will go for Wichita State. Great show coming up for you right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor, we took a little bit of a break from our last show, and I'll say a week ago, after Wichita State had a home win over UCF and took Cincinnati, you know, all the way way to the end, the little bit of a ref controversy (laughs) there, I was excited to have a show because I wanted to get in here and talk to you about, this team is making progress. This is what we've been talking about all year. Young players getting better, and by March, they're going to be a lot better than they are in January. But then this last week happened, the USF game happened, my eyes couldn't stop (laughs) bleeding, and then we saw the Shockers lose at UConn. By 20, they're now 0-4 on the road in conference, 1-6 on the season. I mentioned a big six. week coming up. 1-6 oh overall, 0-6 oh on, on the road, 1-6 in conference, though, 0-4 oh oh, okay. on the road in conference. Yeah. But what in the heck happened to this team? It, it, you know, it looks like they're not even running offense. We're going to the end of the shot clock. Uh, a lot of the progress and a lot of that feel-good nature that you had ha- has disappeared. <laughs> so was it just the nature of young teams going on the road and, and that's what it is? Or or what exactly happened here in 2019 for our Shockers? Yeah, that was a rough, rough last week. That's one that the Shockers will want to forget. You know, that video Greg Marshall dancing in the locker room that seems like a lifetime ago that was memory yeah for sure and like you said I mean people were were upbeat uh they were optimistic you know even the Cincinnati game you know that was a game where uh right before those technical fouls you know WSU's up by one with six minutes left on you know one of the best teams in the American you look at what Cincinnati has done since and you know that that gives you hope for this team but yeah you're right you know on the road this team is just atrocious you know they cannot play well on the road they they haven't you know Houston was probably the best they have played on the road and even that was a nine point loss and every other one they've just been kind of punked and uh it's just you know listening to coach Marshall on his radio show on Monday he kind of just chalked it up to you know this is a young team for whatever reason they just they can't get it together on the road and that might just be the way it is and I was looking up uh, the last time that uh, a Shocker team had gone this long without a road victory to start the season. It's been 18 years. Uh, I think it was 2001 was the last time the Shockers have gone this far without a road win in the season. That team went over on the whole season, that 2001 team. So 
we're going way back almost two decades since Wichita State was this bad on the road. And it's so bizarre because, you know, WSU has been the best, college basketball's best road team of the last decade pretty much since 2010. And you go from that winning almost every game on the road to this where you can't even, you can't even get one. So, you know, it's it's a struggle. Uh, the good news, though, the, very, the next road game is East Carolina, one of the bottom teams in the conference. So, you know, if you're going to win a game on the road, that's a good one to, to go for, but you know that's that's down the road. Uh, right now, Wichita State's got to pick itself up off the mat because it has a great chance this week to start to turn its season around. I want to specifically talk about offense because I think if you compare this year's team to last year's team, actually on the defensive end, particularly with defensive efficiency, I think they are a better ball, better ball club. But how is this the team that scored 83 against Providence? How is this the team that was up 30 points in the first half against Baylor? I mean, it has just been a complete turnaround. They're, they're waiting till late in the shot clock. A lot of it is four shots late, either by McDuffie or Haynes Jones. Those are the only two players that are averaging double-digit points. Uh, you know, they just don't seem to be able to have any sort of rhythm whatsoever. So what do they need to do specifically on the offensive end to get back on track? Yeah, you know, it starts with better ball movement and better player movement. You know, like you said, a lot of the possessions are breaking down because, you know, they'll they'll pass the ball, but not with any, you know, without any vigor. The cuts aren't being made, uh, you know, with vigor. You know, you have to do things, you know, you have to make these actions count for something and you have to do them, you know, hard and crisp and, you know, do them, do them with purpose. And that's the only way you get open at this level of uh, college basketball. And right now, you know, Wichita State's not really doing anything with purpose. You know, they're dribbling out front for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. They'll pass it around the perimeter. Nothing gets inside the arc, and that's you know that's where you pick apart a defense is you know getting it inside the arc, dribble penetration, or getting into the post, and then working from there. And Wichita State's not doing any of that right now. The ball is staying outside of the arc, and you know they're they're dribbling around, and like you said, you know Samaje or Marcus is having to bail them out at the end of the shot clock, and you know lately those shots uh, have not been going in. You know Marcus has been forcing a lot lately, and he has such a big scoring load on him, and. Uh, so much pressure on him. He's just been, you know, trying to force it. And then Samaje just not having a very good shooting season at all off the dribble. So, uh, you know, this is just one of the, you know, simply put, it's one of the worst shooting teams in college basketball right now. They're basically bottom 50 in about every metric you can find. Uh, you, you know, even open jump shots are, you know, they're like in the bottom 10% or bottom 10 overall uh, on open catch and shoot jumpers per synergy. And, you know, that just goes to show, you know, even when this team is getting wide open looks, catch and shoot, those are the best shots in the game. They're still missing. So, you know, Marshall can only do so much to get these guys open shots. At some point, you know, these, these first-year guys, these freshmen are going to have to come together, you know, just turn it around and start making shots. And right now, I think it's just a confidence thing. These, you know, they're, they're just not playing with confidence. Uh, you know, early in the season in Providence, Baylor, that's, you know, that's them at the peak. That's when they're believing in themselves, and they just have to get back to that. And I think all it takes is, you know, one game uh, where, you know, the shots start to fall from the outside. And I think that could, you know, bring that confidence back and maybe spark something. 
Two other big issues have been turnovers and foul trouble. So in conference play, the Shockers are averaging 14.6 turnovers per game. That is last in the American Athletic Conference. Also, the foul trouble that a lot of players have seen. You know, very rarely are we at the 16-minute mark without Echenique with two fouls or Dennis with two <laughs> fouls. We saw Stevenson replace him in the starting lineup. So what, what do they need to do from a mental standpoint? It can't just be, you know, this basketball team. And I have to think that they see this on film. So what do they need to do to limit the atomic bombs? But also, you know, particularly Echenique, it seems like teams are just going right at him. Yeah. But, I mean, it, whether he has to come off the bench or not, what, what do we got to do to limit this foul trouble early in games? Because it seems like that just sets the tone for the entire game and, and puts them behind the eight ball. Yeah, I mean, they've been battling foul trouble all, all year, especially in conference season. You know, I think they're leading the conference in fouls called. And uh, you know, with Echenique, I think it's just it starts with with his foot injury. At when he got hurt at VCU, I think he just hasn't been the same since. You know, I feel bad for him. The dude's a warrior. He wants to be out there and help this team, but he's just not the same. He doesn't have the same lift, not the same explosion, and that's really show. It really shows on the defensive end because you know he's falling behind on you know plays that he would usually be there, uh, able to you know contest a shot or block the shot. And now he's like a second behind, and that's leading to more fouls. And uh, with Dexter, you know you watch Dexter's fouls on tape, and you know this guy gets like the. I swear to God, he gets the worst whistle. I've ever seen, you know, so many ticky-tack fouls on Dexter, especially the start of games. I feel bad for him, but uh, like you said, I mean, he just plays, you know, it's just a freshman, you know, you're you're used to playing with your hands at this level, you know, you, you feel like you have to play more with your hands to, to keep up with these guys, and, you know, that gets called a lot at this level, so, you know, with the foul trouble, that's just a lot of, you know, first-year guys adjusting to this level, and they play too handsy. And with the turnovers, you know, that's simply this team doesn't have a great point guard. And, you know, even last year, Landry was kind of a makeshift point guard. Connor was a makeshift point guard. And this year, they don't have someone that caliber, that talent uh, they can put there. You know, Jamarius is doing a great job with, you know, the situation he's in. He's not really a, a traditional point guard, but, you know, a 6'4 freshman, big frame, does really well attacking the basket. Looked I mean, he played with about as much fire as anyone against UConn, you know, career-high 16 points. Uh, but, you know, I just feel bad for him. He's just, you know, put in a tough spot. Uh, and, you know, he's not sur surrounded by any shooters. You know, it's like, you know, I love Richard, but, you know, it's like Wichita State is playing with four Richard Kellys out there where teams are just sagging off these guys. And I wrote a story Monday, I think uh, Sunday or Monday, in the Wichita Eagle on Kansas.com about – uh, how Wichita State has a gravity problem where, you know, none of the shooters have a gravitational pull on defenders to the perimeter. So teams are just like, they literally just, you know, Jamarius passes it to the wing. He cuts through to the other corner. His defender is not even following him to the corner. He's setting up two feet in the paint. So, like, if Marcus McDuffie beats his guy driving to the basket, Jamarius' guy is just st sitting there. You know, he's able to, to stave off the dribble penetration and if you kick it to Jamarius in the corner, I mean, he's not—he's a—he's a reluctant shooter. He's not going to take that shot in the corner, so defenses can recover. So, and right now, you know, all five guards are shooting a combined 27% from the three-point line, just not going to get it done. And you know, that's—that's that's the biggest problem right now with Wichita State is they just have to, you know, they have to make outside shots. And right now, no one outside of Marcus McDuffie has that—that that gravity to—to you know—that make defenses respect them.
Yeah, if we look at the entire season, Echenique is 43% from three and McDuffie is 38, but no one else is over 32%. So, you know, take it's too late to say we're early in the season or, hey, this is going to improve. We're almost, by the end of this week, we will be halfway through conference play. We're at the nine-game mark here. So it's time for some of these freshmen to become sophomores or, or whatever it needs to be. The other thing they're not doing in conference play is rebounding. They have a minus 1.7 rebound margin in conference play. This is not what we're used to seeing from Greg Marshall. They are plus on the season, but negative in conference play. So would you liken that to more athletes that are out there on the court, uh, you know, better competition that they've been going up against, or, or, or what do you see there? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, you know, the AAC is, you know, better better caliber athletes, better teams, but still that, you know, rebounding comes down to effort. That's not really a skill. That's not something that, you know, that's that's just something you have to want to do. And, you know, it's a lot like defense. And, you know, Wichita State, you know, some of these guys just don't want to do it, you know, like they, they need to. And I think that's what Marshall's point this whole season has been is that these guys think that they know, you know, what it takes what it, what it, you know, the effort level it takes to be good at this level. And, you know, that's just not the case. And, you know, they, they don't realize that, you know, you have to, you know, exert yourself. You have to go beyond that, that breaking point that you think that you have and take that next step. And uh, that's, that's really what they're waiting on with some of these guys and pretty much everyone actually. And uh, until they, they, you know, go past what they think they can go, that's, you know, it's just not going to improve. And right now, like you said, you know, this team is, you know, getting worked on the glass. They're getting worked on the, the defensive end. And, you know, the shots aren't falling on offense. They're just not doing very many things well right now at all. And, uh, the, you know, rebounding, that's something that – that's effort. That's something you can control. And I think that, uh, you know, playing at home and coming back to Coke Arena, no better place for this team to be right now. They, they've played better at home all season. So uh, to get back to that, that Greg Marshall style, that – you know the to rebound and and defend you know two teams that are they're pretty you know which I'll say will be favored to win SMU and Tulsa so these are two games they really need to take care of and uh, get back to its roots of defending and rebounding Let's go back to these road woes. They're 0-4 in conference play, 0-6 on the season. You travel with the team, you see them at shoot around, you're you're around these guys you know, I, I can't imagine it's just that I got on a flight and flew down to Tampa and all of a sudden I forgot how to shoot a basketball. So, you know, what exactly is going on here? Uh, is it, you know, the foul trouble at the beginning of games? Is it the turnovers? Is it the atomic bombs? Is it a combination of all that together? I mean, you, you have to feel at some point you just say, you know, I, I'm going to buck up and decide today's today's enough and, and I don't want to take it anymore, but it doesn't seem like it's happening just yet. Yeah, I mean, I think Marshall would, would agree with you there where, you know, he just he keeps waiting for them to kind of put that draw that line in the sand and no one really has, and I think they were were just you know just really really disappointed in their effort at, at South Florida. That's about as easy as a road environment as you're gonna get. There's forty one points. Forty one points, and you know there were probably about uh, four hundred and ten you know fans in the stand. There was just like hardly anyone there. Uh, there was actually a decent amount of Wichita State fans there, ready to you know make some noise and. They waited the entire night because there was nothing to cheer about in that game. That was the worst game. I mean, like I said to you, I mean, that just looked like, you know, high school JV. And you just kept saying, like, I, I kept thinking, like, uh, I almost tweeted it out. I kept almost tweeting out, like, it can't get worse than this. Like, it's it can oh, only can. go up. And, yeah, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. 
And, um, yeah, you just look at the final numbers on it, and it's just unreal. 41 points. I think it was like the third or fourth lowest uh, in program history. If you look at it a possession-by-possession possession basis, uh, I think it was the second lowest ever in, in program history. I think it ended up being, uh, what was it, like 0.61 points per possession. So just uh, all-time bad performance. And, you know, once you go through that, I figured, you know, UConn, that's a much tougher road environment. They had a sellout there, crazy crowd. It reminded me of the VCU crowd. And, you know, I, I just thought this team would come out fired up. They want to show, like, hey, we, we put that, that last game in the rearview mirror. mirror. Uh, we want a much better effort. And what do they do? Very first play, atomic bomb. First, like you said, going into first media timeout, zero points. They miss their first 10 shots. They fall behind by 16 points within, like, six minutes. And the game was pretty much over within six minutes. And uh, that was just really, really disappointing. Uh, for a team that should have been desperate to to win that game, and they just showed no sense of desperation, no sense of, you know, like this is it for us. And uh, you know, that's that's a young team, though. Um, I think this week, uh, like I said, this is a big, big week. Like you said in the intro, I think the the rest of the season, this is going to be dictated by how they do this week. These are two games they need to win at home, and you know, if they they lose one. That's still not very good, but if they you know, lose both, this, is, this could be disaster territory for the Shockers. Well, let's take a look at the AAC standings here as we approach the halfway mark. They're lucky Tulane is around here. Otherwise, they would be the worst team in the conference, Tulane, at 0-7. But if you look at them, 1-6 right now, you're only two games out of eighth place. I believe you're only three games out of sixth place. So as you look towards this week, you have SMU and Tulsa coming to Charles Koch Arena. Those are two teams that are right in front of you in the conference race. How, you know, and I believe you had a stat on Kim Palm as far as the projections moving forward here uh, for the rest of the year. How, how big is this week, in your opinion, and moving forward? You know, just takes a couple games, all of a sudden you're on a streak and maybe back on track, at least a, a goal of getting out of that bottom four. Absolutely, and, you know, when I, when I made my 99 uh, prediction for them in the conference, I had them two and five at this point, so they're really only one game behind uh, what I thought they would be at. And I, I mean, the the way the schedule just sets up is they have a great chance to make a run the second half. Uh, they're done with Temple, they're done with Houston, they're done with UCF. So those are the three of the best teams there. Uh, they have two left with East Carolina, two left with Tulane, two left with Tulsa, two left with SMU. So you know those are four good teams to get you know eight games against and. Uh, I think the Shockers have a real chance. You know, you look at these last 11 games, you know, I don't know if they'll be favored at home against Memphis or UConn. Both of those teams kind of work them on the road. But, you know, Coke Arena, you know, that's a tough place to play. And which I'll say, especially if they can reestablish that this week with two nice home wins, I think they, they, they should be favored in those games. And, uh, you know, if they can take care of business at home, and then finally, you know, work that bugaboo off it on the road and win at East Carolina. That's another game where it's going to be like a thousand people there. Uh, win at Tulane at the end of the season. You know, there's there's a chance that this team can, you know, get some serious momentum. And I, I had a stat today where it kind of puts the, the season in perspective where, you know, this is uh, like the fifth most uh, inexperienced team in the country. And so far they played the 10th 
most difficult schedule in the country. So, you know, that kind of puts things in perspective. It's not like they're, get, you know, losing to bad teams every team timeout. This is, you know, they played the 10th toughest schedule in the country. You look at the first seven games in conference, they played seven of the eight top teams in the conference. So, you know, just a really tough schedule so far. But, you know, it, it eases up now. Two mid-level teams at home this week, road trip to East Carolina, and then Tulane at home. I think those are four games which I'll say should win. So, you know, you're looking at maybe a four-game winning streak here. Well, also, just like Wichita State, some of these other teams in the AAC have been Jekyll and Hyde as far as when it comes to home and road splits. So UConn has been very tough to beat at home this year, although very pedestrian on the road. I think SMU and Memphis have been in that similar concept there. So certainly some opportunities moving forward. Let's look at the overall roster here, and I want to focus more on the newcomers. And, you know, like I said, after that Cincinnati game, I think you had to feel a a sense of at least – you know, these guys compete and they work hard and they're never, you know, just going to give up or, or be out of a game. But certainly this last week was was pretty difficult. But as we look uh, for a few of these guys who have been in foul trouble, let's just take Echenique right off the top. Do you think he still needs to be in the starting lineup or, or is his foul issues or maybe, you know, maybe should sit down and, and tell at least the, the foot injury is at a place where he's a little more mobile? Yeah, Marshall actually talked about that on his coach's show. He, he said that he kind of felt that that struggle where, you know, do I sit him and let him, you know, rest it and maybe get a little bit more healthy where he can help. But, you know, the injury like that, you know, rest doesn't really help it. You know, that's something that's just going to have to heal over time and maybe surgery after the season. So, you know, that's one of those things where it's just a pain tolerance thing. But, you know, I, I love what Asbjorn Meekard has done the last three games. He's been a consistent scorer for this team. Yes, you know, he makes mistakes. Yes, you know, he makes some, you know, I love his shot blocking presence on the defensive end. But uh, Marshall pointed out today that, you know, he does chase some blocks that are just unrealistic. He's not going to get them. And when he commits and jumps, that leaves the rebound wide open. So even if he affects the shot, alters the shot, the five-man is wide open under the basket for the putback, so uh, he needs to be more disciplined in that area. But, you know, I love his screens on offense. He open, He's the best screener on the team. He opens up so much. Uh, you know, if the people could hit shots, I mean, he'd be getting a lot of these, you know, uncredited assists. But I think uh, I like the idea of playing Asbjorn at the start, bringing uh, Jaime off the bench. Uh, you know, I like what Poor Bear Chandler was doing uh, recently, too, but, you know, it sounds like he's in uh, Marshall's doghouse now, so he's going to have to work to get out of that. You know, Mo Udeze, you know, dealing with a shoulder injury. So, you know, it's still a, a four-man rotation there at the center spot. And you reported today it looks like Udeze might have to have surgery here in the offseason or maybe even sooner than that in, in the event that uh, continues to see some struggles. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of those, again, it just it pops out. And, you know, he wears that, that brace, and, uh, you know, it's just a day-to-day thing with him. And sometimes he'll just be running, and it just pops out, and he'll have to, you know, go back over and, and you know, pop it back in. And it's just one of those things where uh, it's going to require surgery at some point. It's just a, it's just a matter of when at this point. Uh, you know, he's done well to, to play through it to this point. But, you know, there might be, you know, later in the season where it just keeps, you know, popping out of place and Marshall just decides to pull the plug and be like, hey, we, we just have to shut you down and just get you fully healthy and uh, ready to go for next year. So, yeah, that's just one of those. Again, you know, he, you know, it's hard to remember now, but early in the season, he he looked really good. You know, he was showing some promise as a, as a pick and roll guy, and 
you know, uh, you remember that Providence game where he was kind of just camping out on the baseline and Samaje would drive and dish it to him and he'd just uh, dunk it. And uh, he had some great promise and he got hurt and, you know, it just hasn't been the same since. And it's been the same with uh, Jaime, too. Has Burton played himself into the starting role as the point guard, or is he your point guard the rest of the season? Ah, man, that's tough. You know, they just, <laughs> you know, ideally it would be Ricky Torres, but, you know, right now he just hasn't Shooting played. 6% from three. Yeah, he just hasn't made shots, uh, doesn't have the confidence right now. Uh, love his vision, though. He's probably the the most traditional point guard on the roster, but, you know, have to make shots. and. Uh, Jamarius has, yeah, played very well. Like I said, he's in a difficult spot, not a true point guard, kind of playing a little out of position. He's someone that you need two, three shooters around, and right now Wichita State only has one to, to support him. So, you know, just shrinks the floor for him. He's so good at driving the ball, playing bully ball uh, when they put a smaller guy on him. And right now those driving lanes are so clogged because, you know, defenses don't have to respect shooters. So, um, I love, you know, love the passion and love, you know, his, uh, how much he's progressed. He's one of the only younger players, probably freshmen that you feel has gotten, you know, significantly better in the last month. Uh, but you know, I just, I don't know if he's the point guard of the future. I think, uh, even going forward, we might see a little bit more Samaje at the point where they kind of tell him, you know, don't worry about creating for yourself so much, just run the offense. Uh, you know, you know he he can handle that pressure. He can handle those type of athletes in the AAC, and I think you might see a little more Samaje bring the ball up and have Jamarius as kind of that secondary playmaker. Marcus McDuffie is averaging 18.4 points per game in conference play. He was leading the conference. I believe he's fallen off that top spot right now. But uh, from other teams' perspective, is it just double team Marcus McDuffie and you'll beat the Shockers? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's legitimately the only guy that you have to worry about on Wichita State right now in terms of someone that can beat you by themselves. And, you know, you put your best defender on him and then tell everyone else, hey, like, as soon as he puts the ball on the floor, you help off. And, like, it doesn't matter if he kicks it out because, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything about it. And that's pretty much been the case. And, you know, he's been a little frustrated recently and, uh, you know, forced a lot of shots. He had a, a huge family contingent there at UConn. And, you know, Coach Hurley was there. You know, he was, you know, super hyped up for that game. And, uh, you could tell he was pressing a little bit. The first three shots were all trying to draw fouls and uh, ended up being just really bad shots. And you know, But he's gotten a lot of those calls. You know, you think back, he's probably been the most fouled jump shooter probably in the American. It just seems like he gets you know, at least one or two of those foul calls every game where uh, you know, somebody gets him on the wrist or you know, comes across his legs or something like that. He just wasn't getting those calls. And uh, South Florida just couldn't buy a bucket, started pressing again, and you know, when you're in that mindset where you know no one else is scoring, no one else can, you know, create a shot, you know, that's that's a that's a big load to handle. And, and you know, I see people kind of criticize him for forcing it and, and, you know, taking bad shots. But, like, you know, when you have that kind of mental, you know, psyche, like going into games knowing that you have to carry so much of the load, you know, that's that's a lot to handle. And, uh, you know, yes, he's he is forcing, yes, he is taking some bad shots, but... You know, that's just what he has to do on this team. And, you know, it's really on the other people to step up and start making shots. You know, when they start doing that, then, you know, the quality of life improves for everyone. You know, Marcus McDuffie is going to start going off more. And, uh, you know, if everyone else starts thriving. So 
it's really, you know, I love Marcus's game. He's making a ton of really, really tough shots. I think he's impressed, you know, NBA scouts. I think he's back on the radar. But, yeah, you know, last week was, you know, one to forget about. But I still think, you know, he's he has a pretty strong case for first-team All-AAC. And, you know, even if even with Wichita State at 1-6, you know, talking to opposing coaches after games, you know, uh, so much respect from from opposing coaches. They love Marcus's game. They respect him so much, and uh, really been impressed with the leap that he's taken his senior year. Wichita State's current Ken Palm ranking is 142. The two teams will be playing this week at Coke Arena, 129 and 140. So it's not like they are teams that are much more talented or that they won't be able to take down. Certainly should have the advantage at home. Three and six looks a lot better than one and eight. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll preview this week's games with SMU and Tulsa. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Two home games this week for Wichita State. Both will be broadcast on ESPNU. The first is Wednesday night. The SMU Mustangs come to town. They are 12-7 and on the year and 4-3 and in the AAC. The game will tip off an hour later than normal, 8 p.m. Central Time. The Mustangs' current Ken Palm ranking is 129, and they are sixth place in the AAC. They really have wins over the bottom half of the conference. They've beat Tulane twice, they beat ECU, and they beat Tulsa. Their losses have come to Houston, Memphis, and UConn. Hmm. So, Taylor, let's get started off. Uh, you know, this is the first of two winnable games, uh, in my opinion, for Wichita State. Two weeks ago when we did this show, when they were going to play UCF in Cincinnati, I guaranteed they would win at one out of two, and by golly, they did. I think they go 2-0 and this week. Tell me what you think about SMU. I agree. I think uh, these are two games that Wichita State is going to win. They're catching SMU at a great time. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Jerry Foster, their NBA star, Guy is uh, is injured again. He's going to miss Wednesday's game, and they're just not the same without him. I think uh, in SMU game notes, they had some crazy stat where they had won about like 85% of the games in his career where he had played. This season, they're just 4-4 four and four without Foster, so just a completely different team without him. And, uh, you know, I think this is a game, you know, you know, you know, maybe Tulane, maybe East Carolina, but, you know, if you could pick anyone else in the conference to play at home, you know, SMU would be pretty high in that list, so this is a good opponent for Wichita State to get back to. Uh, bad news, they're going to play matchup zone. You know, they're going to have to make shots. So, uh, you know, they're going to make Wichita State, they're going to pack it in, not let them get anything in the paint, and, you know, Shockers are going to have to make shots from the outside on, on, on Wednesday. These were two games, good games with the Mustangs last year. SMU beat Wichita State on their home court, and then Wichita State returned the favor on the road. If you remember, that was one of Marcus McDuffie's best games that he played in his junior season, scored over 20 points last year in Dallas. The Mustangs' leading scorer is six-foot senior guard Jamal McMurray. He's averaging 18.3 points per game, and a lot of folks around here will recognize him. He's from Topeka, Kansas. As a team, they score 74.4 points per game and allow 67.9, shoot at 44.3% from the th field, and 34.7 
50% from three. Now let's talk about the zone. We've we've talked really all show about how if the Shockers are going to get back on track, it's going to be particularly on the offensive end, moving the ball around more, maybe hitting down some of those shots from the outside. So what would you like to see specifically in this game, knowing the defensive matchup that they'll have, you know, m- maybe a player or two that you think could be a key to this game for Wichita State? Yeah, you know, you know, Marcus McDuffie, you know, every game is going to be a key for Wichita State. They they have to have him play well to, to win. And, you know, what I want to see is better ball movement, better play, player movement, you know, spotting up on the three. It's going to be crucial having that free throw line, uh, someone in the free throw line area uh, to pass to in the middle of that zone, get them to collapse and then kick out. And I don't know who you put there. Maybe you put Jamarius Burton there and, you know, have Samaje kind of serve as the, the the point outside the arc and then have Jamarius be kind of the, the, the pin on the inside of the arc and the one kicking out to, to people since he uh, isn't really a three-point threat. So it'll be uh, curious to see what Wichita State does to attack that zone. Uh, Marshall knows it's coming. Uh, they've been practicing for it. So... Uh, you know, in a game where that's basically, you know, must win at this point, I don't know if they can take another loss, especially at home. Uh, I'll be curious to see what kind of fire they bring, what kind of intensity they play with. You know, this is a game where their backs are, are against the wall. I'm sure the Coke Arena crowd is going to be crazy. Uh, they're going to want to will the Shockers to a victory. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be curious to see how WSU players respond uh, now that they're at home. And, uh, you know, like I said, this I think this is a must-win game for if they're going to, you know, finish this season out strong. You know, if you, if you go 1-7 and seven in conference, that's just, you know, that's a pretty deep hole you're, you're digging yourself into. I think the goal for Wichita State for the rest of the season has to be just take it one game at a time and look at whoever's right ahead of you in the standings, and your next goal is just to get to them. So by the end of the regular season, your goal is one to be out of that bottom four so you avoid playing on Thursday down at the conference tournament in Memphis. But just one game at a time here. One key stat to this game, SMU averages 6.9 steals per game. We already mentioned earlier in the show, Wichita State averaging 14.6 turnovers per game. So once again, I think it's going to come down to the guards and their ability to protect the basketball, as we've already talked about, hopefully shooting the ball a little better at home against that zone by SMU and should be in good shape. The Shockers will return to Dallas to play SMU on March 3rd. Then coming up on Saturday, Tulsa will visit Wichita. They come in at 12-9 and on the year and 2-6 and in the AAC. This will be the first out of two games that these two teams will play in a 18-day stretch. Wichita State will turn to Tulsa here just later in the month, but they will first play at 1 p.m. on Saturday at Charles Coke Arena. Once again, this game will be broadcast on ESPNU. Tulsa currently right ahead of Wichita State in the AAC standings in 10th place, current Ken Palm ranking of 140 to 142 for Wichita State. So this should be an evenly matched game, a, a rivalry game, if you will, and, and something certainly that the Shockers need to take care of business. Yeah, you know, Tulsa is, you know, they, they kind of overperformed in the non-con. They beat K-State and Oklahoma State. And, you know, it made me wonder, like, maybe Tulsa does have the firepower, but, you know, they've kind of come back to life in conference play. They just don't have that, you know, like I said, that that firepower at the top of the lineup, and they've really struggled. They played a tough schedule as well, so they're kind of in the same boat as Wichita State. I think both of those teams improve the second half of the season and move up in the standings, but, 
you know, this is kind of a team that WSU's neck and neck with in the conference race. I think I have them finishing eighth. I think maybe, you know, you knock SMU off, you knock Tulsa off. Maybe they can, you know, make a, a, a even bigger run and maybe challenge that seventh seed. You know, it's pretty wide open after the top five teams in this conference. So uh, this is a big week. And, you know, against Tulsa, they're another team that's going to play zone. And, you know, it just, just depends on how Wednesday's game goes. Uh, how much confidence Wichita State is coming in with. But, you know, this is going to be a, a week where WSU has to conquer its fear of, you know, making that outside shot. And, you know, at Coke Arena, maybe they can get something going. Tulsa's wins are over USF and UConn, but both of those games were at home. They've lost to Houston twice, Cincinnati twice, SMU, and UCF. They score 70.3 points per game and allow 70.4. So what about those statistics there? 44.6 from the field, 34.8 from three, and 12.4 turnovers per game. So this is almost a mirror image of Wichita State. Uh, Certainly not the faith in Haith as uh, many (laughs) of those Tulsa fans have had in years past. So like I said, uh, on your home court, you got to take care of business. Absolutely. This is a team that, you know, doesn't have the star power of Wichita State. They have a lot of nice players. Daquan Jeffrey is very good, but he's not Marcus McDuffie. You know, that's that's kind of the edge that Wichita State has in this game. Uh, but Tulsa, you know, they go deep. They have more experience on their roster. Uh, they have, you know, more consistent players. But, you know, Wichita State, I think they have the, the edge at the top. And really, you know, right now, you know, Ez Samaje, kind of Samaje is kind of the, the X factor. You know, when he plays well, it seems like Wichita State always plays well. So if he can get it going this week, I think the Shockers pick up two wins, and uh, like we've said, you know SMU and Tulsa, uh, bottom half of the the AAC. So these are two teams that you have to beat at home if you're going to be a good team in this conference. And you know that's what it comes down to this week. You know at the the this time next week we need to be talking about two wins, and uh, that's just wish I say has to take care of business this week. Well, let's make some predictions then. We'll start with SMU visiting Wichita State here on Wednesday. Your thoughts? I like, uh, you know, Wichita State. I think they're going to come out with some fire in this game. Uh, SMU plays at a little bit of a slower pace, so I will go Wichita State 68-64. to One of the things I like the most about the game against Cincinnati, and you could tell there is a little bit of a sense of urgency. There was a little bit of a rivalry game. I know Eric Stevenson got the technical, but I liked him standing up a little bit. I'm too. not scared of you. You know, I'm, I'm not scared of you. And one thing I'm not scared of is picking the Shockers to win. I'm going to say Wichita State 72, SMU 65. Time to get back to our winning ways. But more than anything, I want to see some intensity. I want to see some want to. I want to see I care about this because Lord knows I'm going to be in the building screaming my head off because I care about this. I want to see the players care about it just as much. Now, let's make a prediction on Saturday. I believe that's the first day of February against Tulsa. Second day of February, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this one will, I mean, like I said, I wish I State, if they, they, they win on Wednesday, I think they're going to have some momentum. So I like the Shockers. It just seems like they have Tulsa's number. Uh, even though last year's games, they were close. Uh, WSU pulled them out in the, the end. So I think the Shockers will do it again at home. I like them 74 to 68. I like I like the vibe we got on this show. Hopefully the players listen to it. I think the Shockers win by 10 plus. I will say 72 to 60 Wichita State wins. And now you heard him as a co-host last time. It's time for producer Brian. 
Yeah, I'm back. I'm a little healthier this time. So, a uh, little different flavor for buy or sell this week. A couple more open-ended questions that I that I wanted to ask. So, big news that came out today. The basketball tournament, or TBT, is going to have one of its eight regionals hosted at Coke Arena, and the Aftershocks are going to be playing there. So first question in regarding to that, we're going to see a lot of uh, all-star cast. If you could pick a an all-martial team, that's kind of what it's looking like as far as the roster up front. Uh, I want to know, without uh, without knowing really who's who's going to be available, but based on the, the known roster, if you could have one more player to add to that roster, I want to know who it is, but I'm going to throw a caveat out. It can't be anybody who played in the NBA this year, and it can't be one of the graduating seniors, so it can't be Marcus McDuffie. So you get one former player to add to the roster. So just what, what we know so far, we got Clay Anthony early to Kel Cotton, Trey Murray, Connor Frankamp, Shaquille Morris, Joe Ragland, Mark, Malcolm Armstead, Garrett Stutz, Clevin Hanna, JT Durley, and I believe you said earlier, Taylor, that uh, Richard is yeah. in. He's, he's official. So yep. that's the known roster. You get to add one more player to that list. Is this a buy or sell? <laughs> no, nope, I, I, said, I said it was going to be open-ended. I caveated the crap out of that. All right, after that, um, I'm going to go Carl Hall. I think he's a good – I think they need a four-man. Uh, you know, you have Klee that can probably play there. You have Richard, but, you know, you need someone that can eat down low. I like Carl Hall. Um, and I know they reached out to him. Uh, I was talking to, to K-Ron today, and he said that he, he reached out to Carl. Uh, he, he acted like he was in, and then they just had a, a hard time getting a hold of him uh, when they wanted to announce the roster. So I think there is mutual interest. It's, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Carl end up on this team. I'm going go with my guy, Arupke. A lot of people forget him about him yeah, from man. the 2013 yeah, Final Four team. But you need a big guy. You need someone in there who can block shots, get rebounds. But more than anything, is tough. And that's one thing. He was tough. You know, we, we saw him develop over time. And maybe he's a forgotten piece of that 2013 Final Four team, but certainly important. You can play him and Stutz at the same time. <laughs> All right, Twin Towers. Twin Towers What about it is. Uh, Evan Wessel? He's in my ball. He's in my ball game now. So. He's in the financial advising game. We'll just let him stick that. A little out of practice. All right. So, uh, also in relation to the the TBT, um, it's going to be home games. So, what are your expectations for the crowd? So, when Wichita State's former players are on the floor, do we see ten thousand plus for those games? Buy or sell? I think uh, I will buy it only if they make the Sunday championship game or whatever day that is. I think the first two, I think it will set the attendance record, which is not very much. It's only like 3,400. Uh, so I think this. I think all the games draw at least 5,000. I think this is a great basketball community that are you know they're going to be desperate for you know those good old memories of Shocker basketball. Maybe after the, how this season ends up. So I think people are going to really be drawn to this. And the from what I gathered on social media, people are really excited about this. So I think it does draw pretty well. I don't know if it sells out every game, but I think they get one. 
No, I'm going to sell that. I mean, we're barely getting 10000 for real games right now. I mean, the the tickets are reasonably priced, but eh, come on. A lot of these guys, it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, they're still As much as I'm overseas. excited to do it, but no, it's, it's not happening. What I'm kind of negative these days. What if they get uh, if they get Ron Baker to play? Yeah, Ronnie Buckets. He he might fill up the building. Ronnie I'll, Buckets. Yeah, I'll accept that. I will. Yeah, I'll say if they get Ronnie Buckets, I think there's 10k easily. Okay, so back to the current roster. Marcus McDuffie, first team All AAC this year. Buy or sell? I will buy that. I put him on my preseason team, and I put him on my midseason team. I'm so. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I'm sticking with it. I think Marcus has delivered the goods this year in terms of scoring, in terms of defense. I think he has the coach's respect. Um, So I think he is going to make the first team. Um, But, you know, if WSU finishes bottom four, I I don't know if he'll he'll do it, but I think they're going to finish out. I think they're going to climb out of the basement, so I'm going to pick him on my first team. I'm going to sell it where they're at right now. I mean, they're at 11th place. Uh, yes, he was leading the conference in scoring, but he's basically the only other player outside of Samaje in double digits right now. I think in Cincinnati, you got Cumberland. UCF, you got Taylor. Houston, you got Corey Davis Jr. Temple, you got Shiz Alston. You know, Memphis, SMU, there's enough other. Jalen Adams at UConn, there's enough good other good players in the conference to take up that first six. So I would, I would actually agree with what Taylor said. If they can climb out of this bottom four of the conference, yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with that. But at the current time, got to sell it. Finally, another open-ended one. But right now, who should be the starting center for Wichita State? Man, I think Echenique would be the one. Um, but, you know, if we're talking about right now and he's not healthy, that's that's a tough one. Like I said earlier, I like Asbjorn. I think the, the energy he brings, I think, uh, you know, play him in like two or three-minute spurt, sub him out before the first media timeout. You can get Jaime in there. Um, but I, I like what Asbjorn brings, the, the intimidation, the size factor down low. Um, He's I'll too nice. It doesn't matter how tall you are <laughs> if you're polite and shaking hands with everyone and being nice. You need to throw some bows in there or something. Yeah, but, you know, does, does WSU have a guy like that? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Still looking. So, uh, for now, I'm going to go with Asbjorn. Yeah. Let me tell you who the starting center needs to be. A recruit that they're going out there looking for right now. <laughs> but at least right now, I think you're you so got to go with Echenique. I said that with the foul trouble – you know, maybe you let Mitgard play until that under 16 timeout, but uh, Echenique gives him the best chance to win. The only frustrating part is he's never on the court to give him that chance to win right now because they're in foul trouble so much. So that that's something they got to resolve. But ultimately, he's the guy. I thought it was interesting uh, to note on uh, Marshall's coach's show that he mentioned that the uh, referees from the Cincinnati game were reprimanded. By the AAC. I what thought, what does a reprimand mean? That means a, a stern talking, a stern, a bad, stern email. Bad dog, bad bad dog. It was yeah, a strongly worded email. Strongly worded. Well, and that game wasn't the only issue that AAC officials have seen. You know, we saw uh, Mick or not Mick Cronin, but uh, Hurley and Haith get thrown out of a. Well, Cronin a was thrown out too. Yeah. Cronin was thrown out well as well. Sixty you know, fouls. Or Marshall 60, with the technical. Yeah, I think sixty fouls in the Houston South Florida game. So. Yeah, officiating. I asked, you know, I reached out to the AAC and asked them if they wanted to make a public comment on the state of refereeing, and they politely declined. So 
Uh, I mean, they're they're definitely aware that that's the perception right now that you know the officiating is not very good in their conference, and I'll be curious to see you know if that crew works you know very many AAC games in the future. Uh, cause I know, I mean, the Pat Adams and Marquis Pettigrew were both involved in a lot of those games, so um, I'll be curious to see if they they're in those big time games that are on national TV. I think that's what most people were disappointed about was that you know it just wasn't a good showing for the conference. You know, judging from the national perspective, you know, Mar- Marshall was, you know, up in arms the whole game. And, you know, it's not the best Nationally look. televised on CBS. Yeah, exactly. So that's Eyeing like Eagles the, in the building who yeah. calls NFL games. Yeah, it was big time. So, you know, I don't know if that was like the best representation. And, you know, that's not what you want the nation to see. Um, and a lot of that came to, you know, Wichita State obviously didn't play very well uh, on offense. And, you know, there were other reasons why they lost that game. But, you know, the referees, they did, they did kind of, you know, rob them of the chance to at least compete in that it's game. It's basically a two-point game the entire game, one yeah, way or the other, forth, either to Wichita State or to Cincy, and then all of a sudden, six straight free throws, you got an eight-point game, game, you got a ten-point game. Yeah, so yeah. you can't say, even if you agree with their assessment, it's difficult to say that the officials did not have an impact on the outcome of that game. Yeah, absolutely. And even the, the foul count before that, that was what, what – uh, Marshall had the biggest problem with was, you know, just the, the the disparity. You know, Cincinnati was sitting back in that matchup zone, so they're not out there, you know, playing man-to-man. But still, you know, they were shooting, I think, like 25 more free throws before the technical free throws. So uh, kind of a crazy stat there. You don't see that too often with Wichita State at Coke Arena. I think it was the second most, uh, like the, the, big, the second biggest foul disparity in Coke Arena history. Shocker fans, listen up for just a second. I know it's not good right now. We're one in six. Things look bleak. But let me just say for the third or fourth time this season, this is much better than watching them beat Drake by 40 or watching them beat Southern Illinois by 30. I will take this every single day. I will take programs like Cincinnati and UCF and UConn and national brands coming to Wichita, national brands being seen play Wichita State on TV. They're always on CBS Sports Network. They're always, you know, ESPNU twice this week, CBS nationally televised, ESPN game against Cincinnati later in the year. I will take this 100 times over beating Drake by 40. That's what I'm curious about, like, uh, like Brian, like, what would you say, uh, you know, is it better to be in the American to, to be, you know, bottom half the American than it is to be, you know, top three in the, the Missouri Valley? And bottom half is tough because the days are going to get better. I, Let me just I, say the 2020 I, version th- of this, this podcast is, will look better than the 2019 This version. is where, you know, some of the stuff has, has kind of accumulated all at once in this year to make it worse than I think it would be. I don't think a average Wichita State team would be bottom half of the AAC. You know, I think they would, you know, be able to be six and above uh, even with with an average team. And let's look at the USF game. USF was fired up that they beat a team by Wichita State, even though as ugly as that game was. UConn had a whiteout at home for Wichita State. So uh, 